All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to Faith Church. It's great to have all of you in the house. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and always it is our privilege to have you here. Whether this is your first time or you've been here a thousand times, man, each and every week, we are excited to have all of you in the house. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, again, I just want to welcome you, especially say we're glad that you are here. If uh, this is Faith Family and this is your house, man, we're glad to get to hang out with you for the weekend. Can we welcome our family up in Lawrenceburg, Faith Church? It's good to have you in the house. All right. Well, hey, listen, today we're going to conclude the series that we started several weeks ago entitled Game of Thrones. Now, obviously, if you're paying attention to culture at all, it's a pretty hot series. I know nobody here I asked when I launched this series and literally three people raised their hands and like we have like 3,000 people in our church between both campuses, which means a lot of you are lying because somebody's watching the show because it's really big. But the, really, the series doesn't have anything to do with the show. We're just playing off of what's happening in culture. But what we're trying to accomplish in this series is to answer this question. Who sits on the throne of your life? Like, who's in charge? Who's in control? Who determines what direction you go? And so we're going to tackle this today. As we get ready to wrap this up, I want to, I want to put a bow on this. I want, to, I want to give you a great option. If you don't know who sits on the throne of your life, if you don't think you have a great option, I want to present you with a really great option for the king of your life. So how many of you here by chance have ever been on a job interview? Raise your hand. Been on a job interview. Lawrenceburg, been on a job interview. Right? Most of us here, if we have a job, probably we had to go through some kind of interview resume process. We present our credentials. We sit down with an individual or group of individuals, and we answer a bunch of questions. I remember probably one of the probably a little more daunting job interview I went on. I was uh, probably a sophomore in college. Up to this point, I had been uh, working in a grocery store. I also was building houses. Um, I, was, uh, I was a full-time student at Akron University in the engineering program, and I was, I was dating Shauna. Actually, let me say that. I was dating Shauna. I, I worked, and I was a student. Come on, somebody. Like, you know how them priorities kind of fluctuate. So, so I, what I was looking to do, uh, I, I thought, man, there's got to be a way to maybe make more money, like doing less work, because I was working all the time. And so I opened up this thing. Maybe some of you have heard of it. If you're young, you don't know what this is, but it's called a newspaper. It's like way before monster.com, way before careerbuilder.com. Like you open up the newspaper. Some of you remember, right, running your finger through the classifieds, finding a job. And I don't, I don't remember exactly today what was listed, but I'll, I'll be honest. I do remember like dollar signs, big money. And so I thought, I mean, that's for me. And so uh, what they had advertised in the paper was to go to a specific address on a specific time. And they were doing interviews from like one to three for a couple hours. And so I did what I was taught to do. You know, man, you always put your best foot forward. And so I put on a suit. Some of you don't believe I have suits. I almost wore one to prove a point. But put on a suit, showed up in the interview. Um, I, I show up in this little waiting room. There's probably 12, 15 other people showing up. And I'll be honest, immediately I got like in comparison mode. By far was the best candidate in the room. My opinion, my opinion. And so, you know, I'm looking around. They finally, you know, my opportunity comes. I go back. Never forget this. I sit down. There's two guys doing the interview, and they're just kind of asking the typical interview questions. And I remember they went a little off script. They, like, they were asking me, like, hey, can you do some basic math? Like, you know, can you tell me 15% of $200? Or, you know, I'm a math guy, so I'm rattling this stuff off. I go through the interview. It probably lasts about 15 minutes. We get finished, and the two guys stand up, and the one guy extends his hand. He said, well, he said, I just want you to know, man, we think that you are, you're a good-looking guy, you're smart, and you're personable. Man, we would love to offer you the job. And I was like, well, it's about time someone recognized. 
man, I was so excited. Man, I, I walked out. I didn't know what, what, what kind of money I was making. I walked out. There was a receptionist. She gave me a card and said, you need to be at this address to start your job next Monday. And I was fired up. I was like, I got a job. And I went and I sat in the car and I was like, I don't even know what the job is. <laughs> so, so I called the number back and here it was, uh, it was for a, a knife salesman. Yeah, I was out. I think they just told me those things to get me to try to sell some knives. Yeah, I was out. Never even showed up. But I mean, I'll just never forget that process. I've been through interviews since. And probably, like my interview experience, many of you have had that same experience where you sit in front of an interviewer. And what they're doing when they're asking these questions is they're trying to determine, are you the right candidate for the job? Based on your character, based on your competency, based on your capacity, can they do the job that needs to be done? That's the whole purpose of an interview is deciding, do you fit the requirements? Now, there's some things you can absolutely do that'll make sure you don't get a job. I found a couple of them I thought was funny. Like a guy who showed up and said uh, to the interviewer, hey, can we, can we hurry things along? I can't get caught across state lines because it's a violation of my parole. <laughs> or the guy who admitted that he lost his previous job for having an affair in the office. Or the guy who couldn't make it, so he sent his sister in his place to do the interview for him. <laughs> I know, right? My favorite is the guy who showed up in the middle of the interview. His cell phone rang. He answered it and asked the interviewer to step out while he took the call. So if you don't want a job like you can do some of those things, I read a couple of people, man, who I thought really showed some, uh, showed some ingenuity, some creativity to want a job. One guy, I had an interview at one o'clock right after the lunch hour. And so what he did was he sent the office where he was interviewing lunch, sent free Chinese food with fortune cookies, and the fortune cookies all had inside of it his name and his phone number. I mean, I would just hire that guy just on creativity. Let's just get him on the bus and figure out his seat later. My favorite was the guy who rented an entire billboard that the hiring manager could see out his office window, and he put it on it, his picture, his qualifications, and a phone number where to reach him. I'm mean, to thought that's cool. But here's what I want to talk about for a few days. Let's, we've been through this whole series, and we've been really saying this, is that you were created, and I was created, to have a king. We were created. We came into this world to have a king. Now, I know immediately, and I, there's, even when I say that, even though I believe that's true, there's even pushback in me, because we live in a society and a culture and really a world that, that loves autonomy. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And the idea of saying we need a king, see, I know it seems so counter, but at the end of the day, something is determining the direction and the decision of our lives. So I want you to know all across this room, everybody in Lawrenceburg, everybody watching online, you are already submitting your life to something. Maybe it's, maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's the job schedule you have. Maybe it's a budget. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe your life is submitted to an addiction or a struggle or a fear. But let's be honest. Let's at least agree to this. Nobody in this room is doing whatever they want to do. Like everybody, there's, there's some kind of pressure, there's some kind of outside influence, there's some kind of voice that is, that is pushing you and determining, again, the decisions and the direction of your life. And so we were created to have a king. I just want to propose today that there's a better king. I want to propose today, and the reason I know that is because for the next few minutes, we're going to interview Jesus for king position. <laughs> Same way that you and I were sat down and someone asked us questions to find out if we were capable, to find out if we had the capacity to fulfill the position that we were interviewing for. 
If we need a king, we need someone to sit on the throne of our lives because let's be honest, a lot of us have done life our way and we have lots of pains, lots of hurts, lots of challenges as a result of our decisions. Let's find a better king to sit on the throne of our life. My proposition is it's Jesus, but let's do an interview together. Like, can you imagine sitting down seriously though, interviewing Jesus and like asking him, like there's four or five basic questions you always get asked. Like there's this, can you tell us your greatest strength and your greatest weakness? Which the best, best answer I ever heard to the greatest weakness was Oreo cookies. Is that not a great answer and totally true? But imagine asking Jesus, so Jesus, uh, you're interviewing for the throne of my heart. Uh, can you tell me uh, your greatest weakness and your greatest strength? And he's like, uh, everything and nothing. Like I, my strength, like I'm good at everything and I have no weaknesses whatsoever. Uh, Jesus, can you tell us about your 10-year plan? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, I see myself ruling the universe. Come on, somebody. Like, I mean, that's promising. Jesus, tell us about your education experience. Well, I'm proficient in all languages, skills, and talents. Tell us about your greatest accomplishment. I mean, I imagine Jesus right here saying, well, it's kind of a toss-up. There's a little bit of debate going on. It's kind of, I'd have to say it's one of these two things. Either it's the creation of the universe or the salvation of humanity. Come on, can you imagine? Like, there's no bad answers if Jesus is in the interview process. But really, I want to look at Matthew chapter 8 because part of the purpose of the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that record the life and the ministry of Jesus, it's there for a reason. In fact, we all know is if you're here, you're a Christ follower. If you have been in church for a while, you know, we believe that Jesus came and it was God wrapped in flesh. Jesus came incarnate and the purpose of his coming was ultimately to die on the cross of Calvary for our sin. That's why he came. He made it abundantly clear all the way when, his, when he, was, he was seen by John the Baptist out in public. He shouted, he said, man, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus admitted it multiple times in his ministry. He said, listen, I, I, came to, I didn't come to, to, serve, to be served but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. But here's the question. If Jesus came to die for sin, like why didn't he just get right to it? What's the purpose of three and a half years of his life being recorded? Here's why. Because it was his interview process. He was interviewing for the king of our life. He's demonstrating his credentials. He's laying out his resume. And the gospels are in paper edition of why Jesus is a qualified king over every life in this room. He has authority over every area of our lives. That's what makes Jesus a qualified king. He has authority over every area in our lives. What I mean by that is whatever is over, whatever is over you is under him. Come on, somebody. Whatever you have, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever trouble, whatever issue, whatever you have going on, the stuff that overwhelms you, the stuff that has you struggling, everything that is over you is underneath the feet of Jesus because he has ultimate authority over every area of our life. Let me give you some, some great examples. Matthew chapter 8, the reason this is a great chapter is because Matthew kind of nails some big highlights demonstrating the authority Jesus has over issues you and I struggle with, things that we have going on in our lives. Let me run through them real quick. Watch this. Number one, relational. Everybody shout relational. I'm not talking about relationships this way. Uh, one of the places that Jesus clearly demonstrates he has authority in our life is he has authority over our relationship with our heavenly father. In fact, check it out. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 through 4 says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. 
Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me, everybody shout that next word, clean. And Jesus reached out, touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. And immediately, instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. See, what this is about, I know it looks like, like maybe this guy's got like a skin thing going on, and he did, but it was deeper than that. Everybody say it's deeper than that. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, God gave very clear guidelines of what it looked like to worship God. See, we live in a world and a culture today where people will tell you, like, I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. What does that mean? Because I want you to know that God gives very clear guidelines and boundaries. God gives a structure to what our worship to him should look like. And so if you go all the way back again, the Old Testament, God gives some of those structures and boundaries to the nation of Israel through Moses. And one of the things that God tells Moses is, is that when, there's, when there are issues sometimes in our lives, there were things that would keep us from going into the temple where they would go and worship God. And one of the things that's clearly outlined was that if someone had leprosy, they could not go into the temple. Now, it wasn't just a skin disease. You find all the way through Scripture, and I don't have time to get in deep here, but it's a picture of sin. It was an external picture of a corrupt heart. And so when Jesus finds this man and he says, hey, man, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus heals him and he says he's clean. Everybody shout clean. Then he says, go and, go and show yourself to the priest. You know what he was saying? Stuff that used to keep you away from God, I just dealt with it even though you couldn't deal with it. Now you have complete access to God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to take our corruption and give us his connection. Everything that ever separates you and I from God, Jesus stepped in the way, and he made a way for you and I to have a way to reconnect with our heavenly father. Come on. It's a relationship that's been repaired because he has the authority to repair it. There's a, there's a really powerful uh, thing that Jesus says, and I've been in ministry a long time, and I've heard thousands of messages. I've preached thousands of messages, and this is something that a lot of people never mention, but it's one of the most profound and powerful things that Jesus said. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, he prays this, Father, I pray that they would know that, that you're one the same way you and I are one. Jesus is saying, I, I, I hope they'll figure out that because of what I've done for them, the same relationship we have, they can have. See, we, we all, every one of us in this room has struggled with condemnation and shame and guilt. It's part of the human condition. It's part of what Jesus came to fix and heal on the inside of us. Not just to pat us on the back and say, there, there. He came to do something about it. And so because of the authority Jesus has, again, he took everything out of the way between you and the God who created you, and he made a path. See, all of us have sin. All of us have leprosy. And Jesus came to take our corruption and give us his connection. So what he had, we now have. Come on, somebody. Is anybody here thankful that Jesus has that kind of authority? Here's another one. I love this. Watch this. Uh, Not just over uh, relational things, but physical things. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, 6, and 13. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed in terrible pain. And then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believe that it has happened. And the young servant, everybody shout, it was healed that same hour. Well, you guys are a hard crowd to please. I mean, I'm not sure how many times you guys have done that. See, here's what I want you to know is that Jesus, he had absolute authority over all sickness every time. 
Now, I'm thankful, man, that we live in an incredible culture. We have talented, trained physicians and nurses that do what they do to help us be better. Is anybody here thankful that you have someone to go to to help us? Come on, let's give it up for the <laughs> medical professionals. But I remember um, several years ago, I was sick. And I, I'm just going to be honest, I don't do sick well. If I'm sick, everybody's going to know I'm sick. I need lots of sympathy. Like some people want let alone. Like I need baby. Come on, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a moaner. Uh, uh. Come on, babe, tell him. She knows. It's not because I'm that sick. I just need attention. Uh. Babe, do you need anything? No, just ask him, do I need anything? And so I don't, I don't remember. I got bronchitis or something. And so really I was laid out. Man, I, it, was, it was tough. I made it to the doctor. The doctor wrote a prescription, diagnosed me, said, here, take this. You'll be better. I took what he gave me. And I, I remember I didn't get better, like got a little better, but not really better. I was still coughing, couldn't breathe, went back to the doctor a second time. <laughs> kind of checked me out again. He said, man, he said, yeah, it's not really, it's not out of your system. He wrote me a second prescription, said, here, take this. This should do the trick. And I remember I took the prescription. And again, I just wasn't getting any better. And I had to go back a third time. Doc, what's going on, man? Like, am I dying? What's going on? He said, no. He said, I just need to, I need to write you something else. We need to try another, we need to try another method to try to get this out of your system. And I'll never forget what he said. Watch this. He said, he said, Steve, he said, people say it all the time, but they don't realize what they're confessing. He said, you know what I call what I do? It's a practice. Everybody say practice. He said, because Steve, do you know what we do here? His name, his name was Dr. Jung. Very good to my family and I. He said, Steve, what we do here, we're not perfect. We practice. And while I'm thankful that we live in a world where we have incredible medical institutions, where we have incredibly trained doctors, physicians, and nurses, while I'm thankful for all the multi-million dollar technology, at the end of the day, where they're doing their very best, all they're doing is practicing, and often they fall short. But there is somebody who has authority to get it right 100% of the time, who has authority over every sickness and disease. He is King Jesus. Come on, somebody. Not just over relational and physical, but his resume goes on. He has authority over the natural. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 and verse 24 says this. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. This is how you know he's the king. It's because the stuff that makes you sleep, suffer puts him to sleep. The stuff that keeps you up at night worrying, he's okay taking a nap in. Because the stuff that's over us is always under him. Then Jesus got up, verse 26. Then he got up, read it with me, rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Y'all have maybe seen this trick before. you not impressed. Come on, help me. Anybody here, I don't know if this is a southern thing. This is a northern thing. So if, it's, if y'all aren't familiar with this, we'll move on quickly so it don't get awkward. Anybody here remember when you're a kid and it's raining outside? And we had a song we would sing to try to get the rain to go away. Y'all know the rain, rain song? Right? I remember it was like you couldn't wait. Is it, these, this was back in the day when kids would actually go play. I remember being a young kid standing on our front porch like it was down, torrential downpour, cats and dogs, gutters overflowing. Just like, I just wanted to go away. And my mom would say, Stephen, you can't go out. It's raining. Don't call me Stephen. <laughs> Three people call me Stephen. Actually, I'm going to lay it out there. Actually, she called me Digger. That's my name. Digger, you can't go out, it's raining. And so we would stand, we would stand on the edge of the porch, like we would sing to the clouds, rain, rain, go away, come back another day. 
And it kept on raining. Jesus was five hanging out on his front porch like, go away. And it stopped. Jesus had authority, not just over relational things and not just over physical things, but over natural things. He stood on the bow of a boat and he rebuked the storm and immediately it calmed because he is King Jesus. Let's give another one. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 and verse 32. He's over spiritual things. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men were possessed by demons, met him. Now, stop. I'm not sure what your theology is on demons. If, uh, if your theology is built on what Hollywood pumps out, like Emily Rose and The Exorcist, you probably have a very broken theology of demon possession. I'd like just today, we don't have a lot of time to go down this road, but I'd just like to present today that I always go with Jesus. If Jesus taught demons were real, I'm with Jesus. The same way there's a real physical realm, there's a real spiritual realm, and God is not the only one in it. The apostle Paul taught beyond Jesus that there is a great spiritual wicked host in the heavenlies. There are demons. But I'll just maybe just maybe meet some of you halfway who maybe struggle to know that. Let's at least agree that there are things that get in our lives that we have no authority to do anything about. There are some of you in this room and some of you watching online and some of you in Lawrenceburg that you have addictions and battles and struggles. And no matter the medication, no matter the counseling, no matter the exercises you do, you cannot get free. I want you to know that there is somebody who has authority over the things you can't see but still control you. And so these two demon-possessed men, I love it. In fact, Mark, I believe, records that these two guys, when they saw Jesus coming, like they ran to him and fell down and worshiped him. Because you and I may not always recognize him as king, but I want you to know there are people who always recognize him as the king. And so it's right, right here, watch, verse 32. He says this. He says, all right, go. Jesus commanded them. Everybody shout, go. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Again, Jesus demonstrates that he has authority over demonic, over the spiritual. Let me just recap this real quick. If you go to Matthew chapter 8, because maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, Pastor, you're, you're mentioning some people, but, you know, uh, like... I'm not an insider. Maybe that person was like a good friend of Jesus and he was just doing them a solid. Like some of the people he ministered to was his disciples. Like I'm not really there yet. So how do I know Jesus will do for me what we're reading that he's doing for these other people? I love the summation of everything we just talked about. That Jesus, he has authority over the spiritual and the physical, the seen and the unseen, the material and the immaterial. Check this out, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 through 16. This is how I know it's for everybody. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. There's good news for your mother-in-law. There's hope for her. Come on, somebody. I can't say that next service she watches online. <laughs> Unless she's watching on this line, it's going to be an awkward Christmas. Sorry, Rita. <laughs> Woo, boy, that wasn't in my notes. Watch this. But when Jesus touched her, the fever left her. Watch this. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That evening, everybody shout many. Many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and he cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all. Come on, say it. He healed 
all. He healed the good and the bad. He healed the corrupt and the non-corrupt. He healed the religious and the non-religious. No matter who they were, where they were from, what their struggle was, what Jesus was demonstrating was he had authority over every situation that is over us. It is under him. He's got a solid resume to be the king. Come on. So here's the question. Here's what I want to just wrestle with for a minute. What would you do with that kind of authority? Well, let's not even entertain that because that's not even possible. But what would you and I do? Jesus clearly demonstrates all the authority he has. What do we do with the authority we do have? Well, Jesus answers the question what humanity typically does with authority. He says this in Luke chapter 22. He says, then they began to argue, the disciples. They began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men, read this with me, lord it over their people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leaders should be like a servant. Now, let me stop and talk about this. So Jesus says, hey, man, there's lots of people in this world that have authority. And most people, when they get authority, they lord it over the people. Most authorities abuse authority. Come on, how do you know this is true? Most authorities abuse authority. Some of us, we just did this series at work. Some of us have worked or are working for bosses, and they, all they do is leverage their authority to make our lives miserable. Politicians, they run on positive platforms and positive changes they'll bring if they get elected, and so many times we get disappointed because once they get in office, they abuse their authority to promote themselves. There's corruption. Every time you read the news, there's corruption. Why? Because what they do is they take their authority and they lord it over people. They make it about themselves. They use their authority to hurt other people. Let's just make it real simple. Like, let's bring it down to brass tacks. Anybody here the youngest child in the house? The youngest child? Listen, if you were the youngest child and you had more than you in the house, I feel bad for you because I'm the youngest in the house and I had two older brothers and I'm, I took a beating. Let's just be honest. But it don't matter because I was the youngest and I didn't have to follow any of the rules that they had to follow. Come on, baby. It's good being the youngest. It's a double-edged sword. But here's the thing is like your older brother or sister, as soon as mom and dad, the authorities out of the house, they take their authority and they lord it over you. All of our kids serve, uh, serve in ministry in different, different capacities. And so each Sunday, like, you know, one of the things I miss, I love what I get to do, but one of the things that you all have the privilege to do that my family and I, we don't have the privilege to do is that just to come to church together. We don't get to come to church together. We rarely get to sit together, to worship together. I normally come very early in the morning. My wife's not far behind me. She's the head of our VIP, man. Can you show some love for my wife? Um, my son, he works back in, uh, back in kids' ministry and in our junior high ministry. And so this was just a couple weeks ago. This happens less and less as they get older, but like it still happens. Like people abuse authority. So I came early. Shauna left probably about an hour after me on her way to church. And right after she left, she got a text from our youngest, our son, Zach, who said about his sister who was left in charge, uh, Mom, Kayla is yelling at me. No, I mean really yelling at me. Because as soon as she was in charge, what did she do? She started abusing authority. Here's what you need to know about Jesus. When you read the resume of Jesus, it's not just about what he can do, but you need to see it's why he does it. Because every other authority abuses the authority they have. Jesus takes his authority that he has. It's over everything 
that's uh, over everything that's over us, and he leverages that authority, not for his good, but for our good. Come on, somebody. Like nobody else does that. If you're taking notes, Jesus leveraged his authority for mission over position. It wasn't about him coming saying, look who I am. I'm the king. And he didn't make the entire world bow at his feet. He took his authority in every situation. It wasn't just about what he did and how he did it, but it was who he did it for. There's a great scripture that, that kind of really brings this home. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, he's praying in the garden. It's this week, in fact, that we celebrate the Passion Week. He's at the end of his ministry. He knows he's about to fulfill his primary mission to die for the sins of the world. And the narrative records that he's praying because he's like, God, if there's any other way, if there's some other way to win humanity, like, let me know because I'm not down with the suffering that's coming my way. I want you to know it's okay. It's okay not to love God's will for your life because Jesus didn't either. But at the end of the day, we submit to it because it's the best. And so he's praying, finding this army, this religious army, part of this Roman. They show up to arrest Jesus for treason to the Roman Empire. Peter runs the defense of Jesus, takes out a sword, swings it, and cuts off a dude's ear, which is awesome. And then Jesus says this, watch. Jesus says, hey, oh, Peter, I don't need your sword. Don't you know the authority I have? Like, I could ask right now, my heavenly father would send thousands of angels and wipe these fools out. That's the kind of authority I have. But I'm submitting my authority, not for my position, but for the mission. I've come for people. So I'm not going to rule over this situation. I'm going to submit to it because it's to the good of the people that I was sent for. See, what you need to know today is that Jesus, he's just not a good savior. He's a good king. He doesn't just have authority. He leverages his authority for the good of our lives. So you just have to decide because when you read each of the stories we read, Jesus didn't go to any of these people. All of these people came to him. So while Jesus has authority and Jesus will leverage that authority for the good of our lives, that only happens when we come to him and we make him king, which means, write this down, submission is the best decision. Everybody say that. Submission is the best decision to in your finances and in whatever is dictating and determining the direction of your life. I have a better way. It's Jesus. He passes the test. He nails the interview process. He has a stellar, unmarked resume that everything, no matter your fears, your anxieties, if you're here cutting yourself, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're overwhelmed with the concerns and the worries of life, if your marriage isn't there yet, if you're not where you think you should be yet, I want you to know that putting Jesus on the throne of your life is the best decision you can make. Submission is the best decision. 25 years I've been doing this, and do you know how many times someone has come and sat in front of me and said, Pastor, you know what? I really regret doing it Jesus' way. You know how many times I've sat with people who cried about their marriage, cried about their kids, cried about their addiction, cried about their struggle, cried about their financial problems, and said, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have done it my way. You know what they're saying? I missed it in the moment, but submission is the best decision. There's a conversation in theology. I know you all get geeked up about theology. It's this thing. It's called Lordship Salvation. If you've been in church for a little while, maybe you've heard it, probably not. Let me tell you what it means. That there is a segment of people that teach, segment of people that teach that 
that Jesus cannot be your Savior unless he's also your Lord. That you can't be saved unless you're obedient. And while I understand maybe where they're coming from, let me just lay this out. There's only one gospel. The word gospel means good news. And either we are saved by grace through faith alone or we are saved by by grace and our obedience. Those gospels are different. They're not the same. And I'm going with what the word says, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. It's not by anything we do. It's by everything he does. So listen, listen. Don't hear me giving you a pass to live life like you want. You can. I believe you can come and be saved by the grace of God with no works or obedience on your part, ever. But I want you to hear this. While Jesus is called Savior, Messiah, and Teacher, less than 50 times in the entire New Testament, he is called Lord over 500 times. He says, I'm the Lord. He calls himself the Lord. The disciples call him the Lord. The apostle Paul calls him the Lord. He's called the Lord by angels. He's called the Lord in situations. Demons call him the Lord. Everybody recognizes his kingship, but sometimes us. And so submission is the best decision. But I want you to just hear this as you wrestle through the ideas. So you can be saved without obeying. That's where it starts. But what I'm presenting today is I'm issuing the challenge. I'm making the call that there is a king who's worthy of your and I's submission. I just want you to yield because it's the best path. It's the best decision. It's best for your marriage, best for your money, best for your heart, best for your life, best for your career, best for your calling. It's best for everything to submit to the only one who's earned the right to be the king of our hearts. Say it this way. He saves us as our Savior, but we surrender to him as our Lord. Savior is what he does for us. Lord is what we do for him. Savior makes us his child, but being Lord makes us his servant. Savior changes my heart. Lord changes my life. A Savior provides forgiveness. A Lord provides purpose. Savior is salvation. Lord is sanctification. Savior determines where we spend eternity. Lord determines how we spend eternity. He doesn't want to just be your Savior. That's why he came. But he came to be the Lord of our lives. And submission is the best decision. Philippians 2.10, and I'll end this series with this. Powerful scripture. Some of you probably have heard it. Paul says this. I want every voice to read this with me. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Apostle Paul is writing. He's saying there's coming a time that everyone will recognize. Everyone will submit to Jesus as Lord. Here's what I would propose to you today as we close this series, Game of Thrones, is that you can submit now with benefits or later with regrets. You can submit now and experience all the benefits of having not just a good Savior, but a good Lord over your life. Or you can submit later with regrets. Everyone, I'm telling you, now or later, you will recognize him as Lord. You will confess him as Lord. The benefit on this side, if you do it now, the sooner you do it, the better you'll experience your life, your purpose, the life he has for you. The sooner all the things he's blessed us with will begin to fall into line. Not perfection from our perspective, but being right and whole from his perspective. Like the sooner we submit, the better life becomes. But if you don't want, you want to keep just living life your own way by your own rules, it's your decision. But when the day comes that every knee does bow, There will be regrets. God, had I only done it sooner, if I would have only done it sooner, 
So you can do it now with benefits or you can do it later with regrets. He's clearly demonstrated he's a worthy king. Come on, is anybody here thankful that we have a God who's worthy? And so as we close today, every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you here recognize that maybe you've already done it in some areas, but you say, Pastor Steve, today over every area of my life, over my money, my ministry, my marriage, my life, my calling, my career, my kids, Lord, over my thought life, over my struggles, over everything, today I need to make the submission decision. Come on, if that's you, all over this room, I want you to lift a hand. Over every area, Pastor, today I choose to make the submission decision. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to, I want to give him the seat the throne of my heart. And so, Father, today, as all of us in this room recognize and we lift a hand, Lord, to you, God, we yield and we submit our lives to you. God, there will be times for sure we will wrestle, try to wrestle back authority. God, there will be times that we will want to be submitted to something else. But I pray, God, today that you will help us walk out the submission decision every day and in every area of our life. In Jesus' name. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for one more minute. The better decision you can make, at least to begin the journey, if you haven't yet, is making him your savior. See, the Bible says all of us, and you know this, man, you've made mistakes because so have I, and you've messed up and so have I. You've sinned and so have I. There's nothing we can do to fix it, but I want you to know, man, if you're here, you're 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it's not too late. Men, women, old, young, it's for everybody. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, God, forgive me. We cannot fix ourselves, and we can't fix our relationship with God on our own. That's why Jesus came. And so I just want to close with just one more prayer. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe it happened a long time ago at camp, or when you were a kid at Sunday school, but, man, you are not following the Lord at all. And today you want to say, man, I need to make Jesus the Savior of my life I need his grace and I need his forgiveness. I need what only he can provide to reconnect me. If you're ready to trade your corruption for his connection, here's your opportunity. I'm going to pray and you can pray after me. Just ask God, God save me and he will. You can pray the words I pray or you can use your own words, but I want to lead in prayer. And if you're here, you're watching online and Jesus is not your savior, this is a great way by faith to make that decision. Say, Jesus I thank you that you came to rescue me when I couldn't rescue myself. You came to pay the price for my sin that I could never pay on my own. And so, Lord, I give you my corruption, my mistakes, my failures, my defeats, my sin. And I receive your grace and your forgiveness. I receive right now the gift of salvation. And I thank you that right now I'm your child. Help me to walk out of this place also beginning to make you my Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we give some wild applause to the Lord Jesus today? Hey, listen, Faith Church, man, a couple things, two things on your way out. First of all, if you prayed that, whether you lifted a hand or not, and that's the first time you've asked Jesus to come into your life to be the Lord and the Savior, you can simply text ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, to 97000. If you've never done that, I would encourage you. You will get one text a day for five days, and that's it, that will give you information through your spiritual journey. 
Lastly, before you guys go, don't forget, man, the Guatemala meeting is happening in the back in room 118. If you're just interested, go get info. And don't come alone next week. Let's have a huge Easter celebration. God bless you guys.